just pray because um, the Lord has blessed you guys with such great leadership. And uh, I couldn't help, but you, you already heard such a good word from the Lord. Um, here's how that affected me was that parking, you know, all the stuff that needs to be done um, and the need for funds. But it all comes back to my heart, doesn't it? And what is God doing in my heart? Where do I need to be a better manager of his things? And so can we just pray? Not only that we'd be a good steward of the wealth that God has given us and just where maybe our plans are needing some adjustment with his plans and just trusting him. Areas where maybe I've been leaning toward some covetousness. You know, God gives us such great protection against covetousness because of giving. It just in terms of it's a kingdom, you know. Um, but let's let's just pray. Lord, thank you for always bringing it back to our hearts. And thank you for making us in that deepest part of our being the richest of people because of grace and mercy that we find in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, our hearts are yours. And we want to thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Thank you for reminding us that you're sovereign. Thank you for reminding us that you're the greatest of providers. Oh, God, thank you for reminding us that you're the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, Lord, not only would we ask you to, to, to guide our hearts through this process, but also, Lord, make us good stewards this morning of one of the richest treasures that we have, and that is your word. How we love you, Jesus, and how we ask that you'd speak to us in a life-changing, heart-changing way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Oh, my goodness. Now, Keith, when do I start? Do you, know, you guys notice I brought up here? It's a timer. <laughs> it means nothing here. I know. I know. Um, you know, Keith was talking about uh, 1993. We did. We left New Orleans 15 years ago last month. It's just... We left New Orleans 15 years ago last month, but 15 years later, we've never left Lakeview. And I was like, I've just been seeing your faces and just reliving memories of God's kindness to us. It's just been, it's been overwhelming. It's been overwhelming. Jan and Joshua send their love. Um, uh, they had to stay home this year. Usually they've been coming down to youth camp with us all, but... Joshua's reached 10 years old, and um, he made the Little League All-Star team. And wouldn't you know, they're playing this weekend. And so they send their love. But by the time we're done today, our youth group from Midland, uh, they took a later flight than I did this morning. And so they should be getting here. And my two oldest sons, uh, Will is 16, and he'll be here later this morning. And Micah is 14, and uh, they'll, they'll both be here. And, and so... I look forward to them just being, getting a chance to, to experience you, um, to experience your love and your care. Um, oh, such rich memories. I, I think of the mentoring and the fellowship that I've received here from Keith, from, 
from the staff, from our board. I, I look back at the memories of our times together as, as board members, Peter and Bill and Phil and Steve. And then there was Frank. Frank was, Frank was, you know, it's so funny because in my heart and mind, Frank was always part of that. And yet you know, it was always so, you know, Frank, I think, is one of my dearest friends, but he has been such a caregiver for my soul as well. And your patience, <laughs> because I used to work for Shell Offshore Incorporated downtown in New Orleans, one Shell Square. That's how the Lord got us to to New Orleans. And uh, so as a, as a Shell employee, uh, we started attending Lakeview and um, uh, the Lord just just captured our hearts, planted us there. And then about three years after I had been working for Shell, the pastor at that time came to our door and said, do you feel like there's a call on your heart for ministry? We've been talking as leaders and we feel as though the Lord would would have a call on your heart for pastoral ministry. And, and I'm in my arrogance, I'm going to tell him you're just now realizing that um, I hated working for Shell. I you know, I there was always this sense of calling in my heart. And, and so we came on staff and. Lakeview was so patient with a uh, ignorant and unlearned man. Um, I mean, you think of all that I put you through. They they had me look at look at oh, you have Matt Mason. <laughs> Lakeview back in those days had some good worship leaders, and then there was me. I led worship. I don't know how to read music. I have no rhythm. If you ever did watched anything, I'm. I'm missing the beats and Nancy was playing the piano. Nancy, do you remember my, all my cues? Everyone in the congregation, it wasn't just orchestral. It was everyone just watched what kind of goofy signals I was making. I traumatized more children with a character called Not Too Bright. Crying babies. (laughs) And yet you endured that. I was a youth pastor here at Lakeview, and oh, how you put up with me. I used to, we used to have lock-ins. Jeff was, I was Jeff's youth pastor, and um, we used to have lock-ins, and we'd take the kids out. And do you remember where the, the, there were, there used to be a helicopter pad there? Do you all remember that? There used to be a helicopter pad there, and we would take the kids out about midnight, one in the morning. I probably shouldn't be even saying this. Um, and we'd go out to the helicopter pad and we'd have rapture practice. I mean, you know what that looks like. And we'd have all the kids out there doing this crazy stuff. And yet, by God's grace, Jeff became a youth pastor. So, in that... Oh, my goodness. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I could speak for the whole family. Your example as leaders and as a church has ripple effects far beyond Orleans Parish, Metairie, Kenner. Um, It's reaching all the way to West Texas, but it's spreading throughout all of Sovereign Grace. Do you guys know that? What God is doing through the leadership here, through you and your faith, people are being moved by and inspired by, ready to trust God through trials, ready to have faith in God, to answer prayers bigger than we can even imagine praying for. 
Your influence is powerful. Now, this morning, I'm a guest speaker. And uh, there are different reasons you have guest speakers. Some are, are just skilled theologically. Some are just gifted in so many different ways. There are some that after you've heard them preach, they're gifted to make you appreciate the pastors that you already have. And that's me. That's me. So this morning, guys, let us go. Let's go to God's word. We're going we're gonna to go to two places this morning. We, for, for our doctrinal instruction, for just the health of God's word, as God speaks his word into our hearts and, and brings us such health spiritually. That doctrinal portion will be from Luke 11. And then the sermon illustration really is we're going to have the privilege of watching the prayer life of Daniel. Luke 11 is when Jesus and, and was with the disciples and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. That'll be our doctrinal portion. And then we're going to sneak up. We have the privilege through Scripture to be able to learn how to pray through some of the greatest prayers that there ever were. And so this morning, we're going to be able to sneak up on Daniel's prayer closet. And we're going to be able to be witnesses of praying just like Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So are you there in Luke 11? Is everybody there? Let's dive in. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Oh, hang on, Keith. Let me start my timer. Is it okay if I start my timer now after all that introduction? Now I can... That's the way I do it at home. Everyone gets mad about that. But um, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our, our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet, because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. And you know, you've been so well taught. Continue. That's, the, that's what he's essentially saying here. Keep asking. I'm going to tell you this. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. And it will keep being given to you. Keep, seek, keep, keep seeking, and you will keep finding. Keep knocking. And those doors are going to keep being open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Oh, these next few words we ought to say together. How much more? Oh, boy, those are three great words right here. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, certainly Christ is giving an awesome lesson on prayer here. The focus for us this morning won't just be on the little increments of the prayer, though you could do such a series, weeks upon that. The focus this morning that I feel like um, the Lord would have me share with you all, especially in what you've been learning from the from the pastoral team here, is persistence in prayer. And that resonated through that passage. Didn't you see that? Jesus is... Understand, when the disciples are asking Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray, it wasn't a one time, it wasn't as though Jesus just at that point prayed the mother of all prayers and they were so impressed that they said, wow, teach us to do that. That wasn't it. There had been this long standing. The book of Luke is fascinating because the book, Luke, Luke just really, um, just records Christ's prayer life uniquely through his prayer life. And so the disciples, it's almost as though they've reached this place and said, we've got enough evidence. We see that what makes your life so rich during such intense pressure and such intense storm is your communion with the Lord. Would you teach us how to have communion with the Lord? So it's an ongoing request that they've seen an ongoing prayer life. And now they are asking, Lord, teach us to pray But not just during crisis, not just during trials, not just little thank yous because of a nice thing that happens. Lord, teach us persistence in prayer. Teach us an ongoing prayer life. And so then he comes in and he brings in the the man knocking on his neighbor's door, right? And notice, do you notice there's so many cool things in the scriptures? You notice why he's knocking on the neighbor's door? First of all, did you notice he wants to minister? Did you see that in that? Did you see that a neighbor, somebody, somebody had come to his house, it was midnight, he looked within himself, he looked into his storehouse, he had nothing to give, and this person needed care, this person needed ministry. And so that's kind of a little context for where we're headed today. God, we want to be persistent in prayer because the world needs you. And by ourselves, we have nothing to give this world unless you pour out your Spirit upon us. Unless you give us the riches of Christ Jesus to declare, Lord, we want to have something to give the neighbor. And so he's going and he's saying, so keep knocking, keep, keep pounding on his door. This old grumpy old neighbor finally gets up to answer the door. That's where the illustration needs to stop because Jesus is really drawing a contrast here. He's not, he's not saying that God will begrudgingly answer persistent prayer. He's saying that, listen, if an old grumpy guy will get up and answer the door, how much more will a father who loves you to pieces? You see that? It's so good. It is so good. So he goes into persistence. But let me ask you, because that's where our first heart-searching time is, are you persistently praying? I, listen, I was so blessed. There's, there's going to be some challenges, I think, in the, in the text today for us. But it's not, because, it's not because, I don't believe it's because you're needing to be corrected as though this church never prays. I think the Lord is just saying, the best is yet to come. 
And so that's where we're going with this. So just so that you don't see me taking a, a turn here that's incorrect or for you to understand I think the Lord is wanting to boost you even closer to him in your prayer life, in your persistent prayer life. So now, what are you persistently praying for? Think about it. What have you been persistently asking and seeking and knocking for? Because we don't always do that very well. Take the little boy who his daddy's going to put him to bed and, and they're having a nice time. They've prayed and dad kisses him. Kisses him goodnight. The little boy lays down. Dad comes over and he sits down in his chair and opens his Bible. He's just going to conclude the evening with the Lord. And just a few minutes later, you know, if you're a parent here, you know about what's next to come. The little boy from the bedroom said, Dad, I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a glass of water? Son, it's bedtime. I put you to bed. I've already given you 42 gallons of water. And so, just good night, son. I love you. We'll see you in the morning. A few seconds later, Dad, I'm really thirsty. Please bring me a glass of water. Son, no, go to sleep. You know, an erosion of sanctification taking place in me, um, because I'm very aware of this. And and then the last time, Dad, son, (laughs) I told you. Go to sleep, and if you make another noise, I'm going to come in there and spank you. He opens his Bible. About five minutes this time. Dad, (laughs) when you come in to spank me, will you bring me a glass of water? (laughs) He's persistent, wasn't he? And he was so persistent, but he, he, was, he was asking for something regardless of what it cost him, regardless of what other people, regardless of authority. He was just going to get what he wanted. He wasn't going to give up, right? And that's not what the Lord is talking about with persistence. And this is where we're going to now kind of cuddle up to Daniel's prayer life. Because if you think about the text, what is Jesus, when he taught them to pray... He said, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And now connect that. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Do you see it? You you see why I'm here to make you appreciate your pastors? Because you're all looking at me. I don't see that. I hope you're seeing, do you see? I, listen, I'm often asking the Lord, Lord, I don't feel well, please touch my body. That's okay to pray those things. Lord, I'm lonely. Lord, there's a financial issue. Father, we're we're having some strife in the marriage. God, I'm concerned about my children. and, And we're persisting in all these things, and we should be. But so often the secondary issues become primary issues. And we've forgotten the context of Christ teaching us to pray. Ask and seek and knock for the name of the Lord to be cherished to all generations and to all nations. You keep asking for that. 
ask and seek and knock that the kingdom of God not only come more fully in my sanctification, but may the kingdom of God come through my evangelization. May the kingdom of God come upon a lost person today. Ask, seek, and knock. And the door will be opened. Do you see it? That's where I want to take us today. And I think there's really, except for Christ, I don't know that there's a better look into somebody's life than looking into Daniel's life. So, would you turn with me to Daniel chapter 9? And, you know, I really think that this has implication with what you all have been learning about battling. Because we have had a tendency, I'm sorry, I won't put this on you, I have had a tendency to um, make, make more poetry out of Scripture than authority in Scripture. I, I've, I've, and, and for instance, thy kingdom come. That is so nice sounding, isn't it? Do you understand when Jesus is saying, pray, ask, seek, and knock for the advancement of the kingdom? There's going to have to be warfare there. There's going to have to be conquest there. There's going to have to be battle there. There's going to have to be sacrifice there. It's not poetry. It's, it's militant. It's, 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 it's a sense of conquering. And Christ is saying, I need you to be in this sense. Now, isn't it wonderful? Because he's, he's saying, keep asking and seeking and knocking and making sure you're remembering your relationship to him as a father. Somebody, even this morning, probably needs that reminder. He loves you. He's your father. But as a son or as a daughter, he's also saying, I need fighters. And not for you to fight in your flesh, but according to the power of God, which works so mightily in you. I need you to be warriors. And the first place that you do that is in prayer. So we're going to look at the first category this morning is that if we're truly going to be persistent in prayer, we're also going to have to marry that with being persistent in the study of God's word. And that's where we pick up in Daniel's prayer closet today as we are influenced by this great man of God's prayer life. So let's first look at the persistent prayer that is fueled by persistent study. In the first year, verse 1, of Darius, the son of Azarius, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books, great place to highlight right there. I, Daniel, perceived in the books. You notice he's not just talking about having a reading, but he's perceived in the books. The number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. So now you know what book of the Bible he's reading. He's reading the the prophet Jeremiah. He's perceiving what God is saying through Jeremiah. And he discovers that... Let's see, I'm going to back up here. According to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So here's where we're going. Daniel is in the tail end. He's recording this. This is being recorded at the tail end of the captivity of the Israelites. It's coming near an end. And Daniel, in his 
persistent prayer life. This persistent, listen, this, this is one of the longest recorded prayers in the scripture. And I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the length of this prayer is, is unrelated. I think it's related to the fact that it was birthed out of study. It was birthed out of hearing God's voice and then appropriately as his children speaking back to the Lord on the basis by which he spoke first to us. And Daniel has been in Jeremiah and he's trying to understand God's heart. He's trying to understand the condition of his people. And, and we'll never understand the condition of our people unless we know God's heart. The more we know God's heart, the more we're going to know how to pray for the people. And he's been praying, he's been seeking, he's been asking and seeking and knocking. And the Lord reveals to him in Jeremiah that your captivity is almost done. He perceived. And so, first thing is, are you in the Scriptures in a perceptive way? Meaning this, I don't mean, to, don't get complicated. Meaning this, and again, this is, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because you guys have heard this so many times, I'm sure. And it's, it's, it's that you're taking God's Word and you, you haven't just read it. You know, I use For the Love of God, which is a devotional by D.A. Carson, uses Robert Murray McShane's through the year, read the Bible through in a year. And it's kind of a neat thing because that, that he, he gives a devotional then out of one of those four chapters that you read each day. But one of the problems of my life is that I tend to be a microwave kind of guy. I tend to want to have my devotions and then get them over because I have a lot of other important things to do. Oh, brother. And it's so easy to have read your Bible and then close it and you don't even remember what you read. Jesus is teaching us, Daniel is teaching us, that when you open your Bible, you consider what you've just read. You ponder it. You seek to digest it. Spurgeon liked, likened it to this. He gives such great illustrations. Spurgeon liked it. Isn't, you guys, homing pigeon, in this day of Internet, this almost sounds funny to talk about a homing pigeon. But if I say homing pigeon, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. If that's not, if you don't know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. Homing pigeon. Okay, homing pigeon is, is a bird. Isn't that really? You come here for such insight like that, don't you? A homing pigeon is, is a trained bird. And someone would write a letter, a message, attach it to that homing pigeon. That homing pigeon would go to a destination. The people would receive the, the letter. And then they would respond to what they heard. And then send the pigeon back. And Spurgeon said, that's what the word and prayer is supposed to very much be like. God has a word in his heart from the scripture for you. And he sends it to you on the wings of the spirit. And he plants it. He wants to plant it into your heart. And as you've considered the word, it's amazing that out from your heart comes prayer. Because the word that he spoke to you reshaped you somehow. The word that he spoke to you re-envisioned you somehow. The word that he spoke to you made what was growing hard more tender again. And you were able now out of this reshaped heart to pray in a fashion that was according to God's will. And so there you see Daniel. There you see where he is. And isn't that so true, guys? Uh, People's words shape our responses, don't they? If I, if I come over to Keith today and I speak to him gruffly and I'll show, I'll show you how people cannot like me, okay? I'll tell you how. And 
My words affect our response, don't they? See, we're very, we are responders. We think in our areas that we're somehow initiators. Think about anything that we do that hasn't had a preceding cause. We're always responding. And so when I speak a human word to Keith, that shapes a response out of him. Guess what prayer is supposed to be? God speaking to us and and not just getting a reaction from us, but transforming us. And then we speak back to him. And now, listen, I am no I I, I proved this morning. This morning, my alarm went off at three thirty in the morning. And I woke up and I kind of giggled and I said, I am such a poor Puritan. <laughs> I, would, I would have made a poor Puritan uh, because I don't do well at that hour, you know. Um, but do you ever wonder how the Puritans used to have those four hour prayer sessions? It's because it was a conversation. It's because the scripture was right there and they would listen to God and he would shape their heart. And that would shape their prayers. Oh, listen, you will not regret going deeper in that way. So let's go a little further. So persistent prayer is fueled by persistent study. But now in verses 3 through 16, we're going to discover that persistent prayer seeks a pure heart. And this is that may seem obvious on the surface to you. Persistent prayer is ultimately certainly wanting to change us. It's not trying, you know, the, all the little sayings we have. It's not trying to change God. It's, it's God wanting to change us. And, and, and that is so true. But I think you're going to in the context of what we're about to see here, it becomes even more vivid that the heart is always the target when it comes to communion with God in a transforming kind of a way that leads to cherishing His name and the kingdom of, of His Son coming. So read with me now, starting in verse 3. Daniel discovered this. The captivity. So I mean, You need to get on the edge of your seats with this. You need to, the, what have you been waiting for? What have you been, for some people, it's pregnancy to come. For some people, it's, 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 it's an entrance into ministry. For some people, it's, it's a, a promotion. For some people, it's being able to see a grandparent that you haven't seen. And you've been waiting and you've been waiting and you've been waiting. And you just now hear that the answer is so close. The promise is almost yours. That's what's happening. And now think about how you would respond to hearing that something you've been longing for is just about to happen. What do you think would be some of your first responses? Let's look at Daniel's response. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth. I wouldn't have been on putting, putting on sackcloth. Guys. I probably would have been dressing for a party. We're about out of here. We're getting ready to go back home. We're getting ready to move back into our home. The, 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 it's just that close. And you know, I don't know if there's a correlation, but you're almost ready to move back into your home. There in Lakeview, aren't you? You can taste the nearness of it. Is it time to party? Oh, it's always time to celebrate God's grace. But Daniel said, even more that we're about to, the promise is about to be transformed into an experience. We gotta pray. I mean, it's just, that's not my natural response. But when your desire is to see the name of the Lord hallowed and the kingdom of God coming, 
And you see that God is about to, to, to fulfill a promise and it's no longer going to be something you're hoping for. It's going to be something you're experiencing. Daniel says, pray! We need to pray. He, he puts off the distractions. It's, this isn't just normal praying. He's putting off physical issues. He's, he's changing the course of his schedule so that he can be so focused spiritually. And then look at what he says. I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession. How, where, Lord, confession? They're about to be delivered. What is this confession? And he says, first of all, my first confession is, Lord, you are great and awesome. And you keep covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Oh, you are great, God. And it's a great place to start praying is always recalling, recounting the character of God so that you are built up in grace, that you're under his authority, ready to obey what he says. But now look where he goes. We have sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We, we, I started doing this on the airplane, just reading it again. If you've got your pen, circle the plural. Do you notice he's not ever saying, boy, these people I, we live with, they're sorry. Do you notice he's saying we? We've sinned. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Verse seven to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. But to us. Open shame as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they've committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He goes on and you can really go down through 16, but I think you're getting a sense of where he's going with this. He's not throwing a party because the promise is about to come become an experience. And, and someone who truly understands the issues of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Listen, wouldn't it be easy to just kind of kick back and say, whew, Daniel's about 80, 85, maybe the, the, the scholars think at this point. Wouldn't it have been easy for Daniel to say, finally, hey, <laughs> you know, I've been praying such, for such a long time. For this. I don't know if he spoke that way. But I've been praying. And now, oh, God, it's so good to know that you're sovereign. You're just going to get this worked out. He didn't do that, did he? He goes to his face. And I think I, if I understand what God is telling us here, he goes to his face and he says, Lord, this is great. This is great that you're about to take us from this from this captivity back into our home. That's great, Lord. But I want my heart 
to be ready. We've, we've been in captivity. Do you almost get the sense that he's telling the Lord, we've been in captivity for almost 70 years, and Lord, I'm concerned that for a lot of our hearts, even captivity has not taught us to obey you. And he cries out to God. There's been hardship. But the hardship is not just the issue that God uses to teach us to obey Him. There's the love of the Lord. There's the faithfulness of the Lord. The cross of our Savior Jesus. And Daniel is saying, Lord, I am excited about this deliverance that's to come to Israel. I'm excited that Your promise is about to become an experience. But here's my prayer. I want Your promise to be met with purity. I don't want promises just to be poured out upon my inadequacies and my insufficiencies, but the, not even that. Lord, I don't want your promises to be given to this sinful heart because I tend to take your answers and I tend to run away from you. You remember the story of the lepers, right? Ten of them, right? And here is Jesus and he heals all ten. And nine of them take the promise of the healing. And now it's become a reality. And they actually manage to get further away from God because the promise was fulfilled. Oh, but there was one. There was one who said, Lord, I, I want the fulfillment of our moving back in to glorify you. And I know he'll be most glorified, not just through a nation of people who changed their address. I know you'll be glorified through a nation of people who are after your heart and who desire a pure heart. Oh, that just gets to me, guys, because so much of my asking and seeking and knocking has very little to do with my my heart. It has a lot to do with my address of just wanting to move from one bad circumstance into a better circumstance. But Jesus said, listen, when you ask and you seek and you knock, the first issue of cherishing the name, hallowing the name, adoring the name, it's got to start with you. And the issue of Thy kingdom come. It's got to start with God. You're about to pour. And that's what, that just think, what a correlation with what you just guided us in today. You're, you're about to pour out this rich blessing upon us, Lord. Or you have poured out wealth upon us, Lord. But it's my heart that I'm concerned about. I want to use the promise properly. And I never want in my life to be a man who just claims the promises before I'm a man who hungers and thirsts for purity of heart. And there's where we have Daniel. This persistent prayer life is he's calling out to the Lord. He's not just making it other oriented. He's not blame shifting. He's saying, Lord, look at our land. Our land is the way it is. Our people are the way they are. And I am the worst sinner I know. I'm right there with them. I have my issues where I turn away from you. Our people have, we've not been the people of light and salt that we're supposed to be. There's states in our union that are, that are legalizing. I mean, just, it just boggles you. Supreme courts that are overruling the vote of the people 
in order to legitimize and legalize homosexual marriage in our land? Isn't there a place where we ought to be praying, oh God, we're, we're mindful about New Orleans, Louisiana, we're mindful about Midland, Texas, but dear God, the church... We want to have marriages, Lord, that display the gospel. God, we're hungry for men to know what it is to nurture and cherish their wife through self-sacrifice. And women who know what it is to display the joy of the Lord by the way they relate to their husbands. We want the gospel's radiance to affect people trapped in homosexuality. That they'll begin to see not just happy couples, but they'll see the glory of God and the kingdom over those marriages. That's what the Lord is just, He's calling us to be persistent and and to pray in that kind of a fashion, that kind of a prayer life. And so persistent prayer, it's going to be fueled by persistent study. It's going to be prayer that is seeking a pure heart. And it's going to be prayer in that. Do you also notice, it was so neat just listening to some of your prayers this morning, that He gets down into, start picking up with me, in uh, verse 16, he says, O Lord, according to you, to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. In the midst of all this, not only does Daniel confess that he desires a pure heart, he also agrees with God that God was right to correct them. God was right to discipline them. I want to, let's, let's go into each other's prayer closets. How often do we pray that way? I'm trying to raise three wonderful boys as best as I can, Jan and I. Oh, I wish I could do a better job. But one of the things that we've tried to weave into them is when they've been corrected and as the Lord is dealing with their hearts, one of the ways we can tell that something is going on, that's not always the way, but one of the ways is when they come back and they say, Dad, you were right. Thanks for correcting me. Why am I trying to train them to do that with me? Because I'd like to do that with him. Lord, you have been righteous and just in all of your ways. I may have been through some hardships. But thank you. I am. Listen. Think about all that you've been through. Not that the Lord used all this stuff to correct you, but I got a feeling, right? That the Lord was dealing with your hearts through all of these past three years, right? Are you any worse off? Think about it. How many of you have a faith right now that's stronger than it's ever been? Because the Lord has been good in your adversity. Oh, He is just so good to us. So, Lord, thank you for correcting us. And then here here, you hear Jesus's whispers throughout this prayer. Daniel closes all that prayer off with saying, Oh, God, not the, the, the basis of which we're praying is not because of any righteous acts that we've done. Lord, I've just confessed a ton of sin to you. How would I expect God to answer a sinner's prayer? You know why? Because he's merciful. God answers our prayer because blood flowed 2000 years ago. Prayer is not cheap. We, we tend to make it trite. and I hope you'll remember that the pathway of prayer has been well stained by the blood of Christ. Not only did He open a way of salvation for you, He opened the way for communion with you. And it was 
it was just bathed in Christ's substitutionary blood. And then finally he says, Lord, not to us, but to your name. Bring the glory. What kind of testimony would it be, O God, if not only the promise was fulfilled, but the people were pure? Not to us, Lord. Not to us. But to your name, bring glory. Finally, we can move just a little bit further. We, um, Daniel seeks to hallow God's name. And then you slip into chapter 10. I'm not going to cover much of that because as I was talking with Keith, Peter is going to, oh, and he will do such a better job talking to you about spiritual warfare, talking to you about the battle as it pertains to spiritual warfare. But there's a great illustration here in Daniel. Go, to, go into chapter 10. Because persistent prayer, there's a fight for God's glory. It's not just a request for God's glory. But prayer, there's a, there's a sense of wrestling. There's a sense of fighting for God's glory. There's a sense of fighting for the people. Listen, uh, one of the things I'm going to be praying about tonight and in the morning when I get up and I heard about the care baskets. Oh, that just gave me such joy to think about you guys going into the neighborhood tomorrow and loving those people. But remember, there is a battle going on. And we need to be praying for each other. God, we're fighting for that neighborhood. Oh God, we want those people to bow before the Lord, the name of Jesus, that name which is above the Lord's name, which is above every name that has been named. And God, we're fighting for them because we want them to bow before You because they've been won by You. They adore You. They fear You. They love You. Dear God, we're fighting for that neighborhood because we don't want anyone in that Lakeview neighborhood to have to bow the knee because they're a defeated enemy. Do you hear that? We don't want that. Ooh, I still feel strong for that Lakeview neighborhood. Some things don't leave ya. We, we worked that neighborhood hard over the past few years. Even before you guys, even before a lot of you became Lakeview. And the door seemed just so shut. And I wish in some ways you could see things from that historical perspective as to what God is doing in opening doors. And you know why? Because many of you are asking and seeking and knocking. And you're cherishing God's name and you want the name of the Lord to be cherished over New Orleans. And you're hungry that the kingdom of God rule over our hearts and this city. And he's opening doors, isn't he? Because it's for him. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Persistent prayer fights for God's people. Look, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name uh, was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was about a great conflict. And he understood the word, and he had understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, I was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth. Do you hear a man in battle? And so you don't just, a, a man who is going without normal provisions. He is in battle mode here. And he's focused on calling out to God. What is happening? Well, this is about three years now after the, there's been the announcement, the release has taken place. And you would have thought that out of the, the hundreds of thousands of people that were in captivity, from what the scholars that I've read, 
49,000 is all that went back. Now do you see, see why he was praying, oh God, our hearts. Oh God, our hearts. And now his prayers are almost prophetically proven true because what he's seeing is that the people became so comfortable in Babylon that they had no heart for the kingdom. And Daniel is grieving over that. Not to mention Cyrus was on some visitation round and his son Cambyses. Cyrus had opened a door for Israelites to leave. Cambyses now was in charge. Cambyses, this prince of Persia, was not allowing more Israelites to go back or making it more difficult. And Daniel is saying, I've got to fight because, Lord, it's almost like there's a veil over your people's eyes. The kingdom of God is right before them, but for some reason, all they can see is convenience and comfort and and leisure. God, they don't want to get out of their comfort zones. And then the other thing, Lord, is it seems as though there's just this resistance. There just seems to be things standing in our way. What is it, God? And he cries out to the Lord and he's focused on God. And persistent prayer fights like that. But now, let's finish this sermon already, okay? And let's finish it. By looking, are you ready for the answers as to what God does when you keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking, relating to Him as Father, cherishing the name that is above every name, and being a warrior in the conflict for the kingdom? Here's how He answers prayer. And here's the first one. You want to write this down. Persistent prayers answers are greater than the prayers you prayed. Try to put that another way. God's going to answer you in a far better way than even what you prayed for. Okay? Are you excited about that? Okay? Well, let's look. Here's where we see it. Go back into Daniel chapter 9. Daniel has been praying. And now in verse 20. Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight. At the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, I want you to stop right there, because that would be so easy to gloss over, unless you are... Thinking about God's Word. I want you to see where God meets Daniel. Don't just listen. I I think that this would be from the Lord. Don't get caught up with, well, I wonder what Gabriel looked like. Well, that's cool. Angel. Angel coming. I don't think that's the most important part of this verse. Daniel was aware of the time. He says it was the time of the evening sacrifice. It was the time when in Jerusalem, innocent blood would be shed for the guilty. God's greatest answers will always be related to that. Now, Daniel's been in captivity almost 70 years There's been no bloodshed. But in Daniel's heart, his whole life revolved around the blood, didn't it? 
He set his clock around the blood. He built his life around someone innocent dying for someone guilty. And it was when he was focused on that, the answer came. And hasn't that been that way for you? You've had big needs. But it seems like when God captured your heart about his love through Christ at the cross, everything else faded. His answers will always be related to your focus on the sacrifice. That's, I, just, I just think we, we are a USA Today people. We are a people who love pictures and headlines. And as a result, we're not good Bible readers. We love the thought of Gabriel. <laughs> and here, maybe the focus is not Gabriel. It's the sacrifice. God's good news came in relation to the good news. The good news about what God was going to do in releasing the captives came in the context of the blood of, of a sacrifice being shed. For us, the, the blood of Christ being shed. And now, what is, the, what is the answer to prayer that is better than what Daniel's been praying for? Well, it is so great, and we can't get it into it today, and it's, very, it's kind of complicated. But you'll see that after the angel speaks to Daniel, he strengthens him, he encourages him, and then he gives him this vision. And it's almost as though, it's almost as though God is saying, you've been praying for the physical deliverance of Israel, Daniel. I'm going to see you that prayer and raise you one. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to... This is bigger. This is bigger because when on that moment, when Israel is set free to restore Jerusalem, that is starting this sovereign time clock. Because Daniel... I'm not only going to set Israel free from Babylonian captivity, but I'm starting a time clock that on Palm Sunday, several, I don't know, I don't have it right, written down, hundreds of years later, Jesus is going to be riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. We ought to try to get you those figures. It's amazing that from Nehemiah and the proclamation there, there's a starting of a time clock to where literally Jesus walks in at the fulfillment of, it's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. At the end of these weeks, Jesus comes into Jerusalem not to only provide physical deliverance, but to provide what? We really need to end, don't we? <laughs> Spiritual deliverance. Do you see this? Daniel, you've been praying for a good thing. And because you've been persistent in praying and cherishing the name and wanting the kingdom to come, I'm going to show you that my answer is bigger than what you've been praying for. Not only will Israel be set free, Christ will come and set the world free. Whoever trusts and receives Him as Lord and Savior. So how should that be affecting your prayer life? Guys, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? 
Do you need to maybe make the private, if you've made a secondary issue, listen, Jesus talked about, ask the Lord for daily bread. Ask Him for the forgiveness of sins. Ask Him for continued grace to be persistent in forgiving others. Ask Him for spiritual power to say no to temptation. But when you ask for all these second tier requests, put them under the umbrella of the first tier. God, forgive my sins because it will speak well of you. God, forgive my sins just to, to ignite my heart again, to love you with a passion. God, oh God, please provide for my needs. But may the people see that the biggest thing you've provided me is life in Christ Jesus. And you begin to pray that way. Listen, think about what you've been asking God for. God wants to answer your prayers better than what you've been praying for. Okay, I keep saying I'm a liar. I am a big liar. Let's finish this sermon. So, so we... Uh, okay, I got thrown off. He answers our prayers b- bigger and better than the way we pray. He answers our prayers with just w- great reminders that God loves us. And I hope that's what you're going to take out of today. The Lord speaks to Daniel three times and he says, oh, Daniel, you are so loved. You are so loved. And it's not about anything you've done. It's because of the character of your God. I love you and I'm never going to forsake you. And then Daniel experiences an even greater sense in chapter 10. We won't go to it now. You can look at it later. But Daniel experiences literally what we can best know as a visitation from Christ himself. Do you remember that takes us back to Jesus's prayer, doesn't it? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. But I'm going to give you a better answer than what you've prayed for if you're persistent about the name and the kingdom. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what you most need today? And isn't that the better answer to all that we've been praying for? And God will give victory. And as Peter talks about spiritual warfare, you'll see in Daniel there, he shows Daniel that Daniel, not only were you fighting a war for the kingdom of God on earth, but God is winning a war in the universe. And when you pray according to the way Jesus has instructed us to pray, the answers will extend from heaven to earth. Matt, do you want to come? Keith, I don't know how you want to close this. Thank you for letting me be here. Shows me the watch. Okay. Well, I like when you started that watch. I'm going to try that one too. Lakeview, Lake God loves you guys. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. I just feel like they, they used to use this phrase the heavens are open, the heavens are open. Oh my goodness. For all who are being led of the Lord right now to make the primary issues primary. Relating to him as Father, hallowing his name, 
wanting the kingdom rule. And you're going to be persistent in those things. Oh, there are, there are answers to what you've been praying for that are bigger than what you've been praying for. I think of how God's going to use you moving back into the building, and it's exciting, but God has bigger plans still. God bless you guys. We love you. Well, thank you. I just want us to close in song. Can I just ask us to really seek to apply that message in a particular way where you signed up to pray?